Laboratory of Champagne. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Brewcast, Case to the Ether, from the newly, uh, from the newly resuscitated punchline in San Francisco. was set to close and now it's set to stay open and definitely because it has a some sort of chicanery, buffoonery, um, larcenous, graft-ridden fucking license that they got now designating it as a historical area where cocaine was done. <laughs> Celebrating its history as, uh, when it was the old Waldorf in the 70s and 80s and uh, uh, I remember offering Paul Katner a joint in that room over there. He was sitting on a piano with his legs out in front of him, and he went, no, man. And I was like, oh, I thought you were cool. <laughs> a lot of people don't know the story of how the punchline came to be saved. For those of you listening out there in Proofcast land, we're in San Francisco at my home club, uh, which I made, I made them to play another New Year's act. Uh, I'm sure the whole staff is really relieved that they don't have to seek employment elsewhere. And... Uh, that the doggy diner is not still open. And um, uh, we, uh, uh, the punchline was going to close and then it received a, a, a as I say, a, a legacy transport uh, due to the efforts of several uh, grandstanding do-gooder comedians and members of the boards of supervisor, board, boards of supervisory. And uh, uh, what happened was this. Um, there's evil trolls who live in a cave in corporate land. <laughs> there's three of them and they're terrible, terrible warlocks and they're Groffet, Prophet Green and Growth and their friend Groffet. <laughs> it was small hands. May I get you anything? No, Groffet girl. Groffet and Prophet Green and Growth uh, live in this cave together, and they make decisions about entertainment in America, and they think, uh, we should do things like have an all-male reboot of the female Ghostbusters. <laughs> These are the kind of decisions that get made in show business, you know? We notice there's a lot of black people on TV. Maybe we should have some more white people to balance things out. <laughs> Uh, maybe we should make uh, the 17,000th remake of the same superhero movie over and over again. Uh, and shit like that. And this time have a surprise ending. The superhero and the enemy have to fight. <laughs> so there they were in their cave. The lime-ridden cloud rising up about their knees. The horrible, terrible... Um, black pudding ebony sky ripping up above them in ectoplasm pouring through on them in a rain of frogs and worms and caterpillars and whatnot other effluvium flotsam and jetsam and that was when the moment came through they were like there's only one club in San Francisco that's intimate and small located in the financial district that a multitude and a plethora of comics have played the last 40 years let's close it <laughs> and make a tech bro douche to water park <laughs> So the tech pros can take their douche-canoes all over the water park and ride them. Oh, look, here's the Cambridge Analytica backsheesh water slide. Oh, oh, look, here's the selling time to Nazis Twitter twist. Oh, look, here's the YouTube incel endless video loop to recruit young people to be white sociopaths that we refuse to take off. And all those rooms were going to be there. That's what this place was going to be. It was going to be an amusement park uh, for white supremacist sexist tech dudes. Oh, wait a minute. Those are mutually inclusive. I know some of you probably work for a tech concern here. Get out. Get out now. Get out. It's in the house. It's in the house. It's behind you. It's behind you. I don't know if anyone saw the original Amityville horror with the immortal James Brolin and Margot Kidder. James Rowland's acting is like, what if uh, you took one of the inert elements from the higher periodic table and gave it lines to read? 
In that movie, Margot Kidder says to him, I love, uh, if I can affect my Margot Kidder, I love you. <laughs> and James Rowland will go, beard, beard. I love you back. So there's a scene in the movie. It's a haunted house. It's, called, it's in Amityville, which is someplace in white people, New England or something. You know, where, to be honest, they should be tormented. <laughs> that was the problem I had when I saw the movie at the, at the Burlingame Drive-In in 1977. Yeah. I was like, um, I don't give a fuck about these Yankee fucking flipping house assholes who buy some fucking old piece of property that has a human head on a pole in front of it and then wonder why every room's filled with frogs at night when they're trying to take a yogurt bath or whatever. <laughs> fuck you with your beard and shit. <laughs> This guy's cool. Fucking haunt the house. Kill everybody. Let's just see the roll. I want to see the dog come through with like a, a pat, uh, you know, a, a Catholic priest set on it or whatever. No, I want to see some shit. So they get Rod Steiger, who I think is a rabbi or a priest or a rabbi priest or something, and um, they come, which are very. They ride. The, they have this one, you know, the ice cream truck. They're, uh, Oh, and what will you be having for your desserts? Will you be having pudding then? Jesus, Mary Joseph, and all the saints. Oh, I was going to do something about all the abuse in the church, and then I figured I'll just have a whiskey instead. Twinkle for a while. Catholicism. <laughs> really? You can just do anything and then tell a guy in a booth that it, and he says it's okay? And then when you die, even if you're a mafia don, they're like, eh, that's all right. Well, then what's the point of doing anything? I could be a Republican if I wanted to live that way. <laughs> just heedless of any consequences. Knowing that at the end of the day, rich people's heaven just opens up and fucking David Duke is standing there with a golden penis that's this big and like, hooray, you've made it. <laughs> Which, you know, diamonds and emeralds fall. Rod Steiger goes into this one room in the Amityville Hala, and he goes into the room, and it fills up with flies, right? Because the devil often sends flies. <laughs> now, were I the devil, and I am in fact dressed like the character from the Arthur Miller play from the 70s as the devil tonight, um, were I the devil, I would have a much more elegant way to get to you. Uh, there would be like, uh, uh, you know, uh, funk music playing, and there'd be like chocolate pudding and shit, and you'd be like, fuck, this is awesome. And then like, am I high? And then, ah, well, ah, ah, and then I, you know, that's it. That's when I sodomize you. <laughs> with a scaly pool cue or whatever, you know? Because that's the, you know, that's the way the devil should do it. In the Amityville Horror, it's so overt. He goes into a room, a bunch of flies gather, and because he's Rod Steiger, he's like, no, no, no. And he starts to open his collar, and he, oh, I'm hot, I'm hot. You know, because he's Rod Steiger, so he has to indicate everything he says by saying it. Flies, I'm hot. And then, yeah, I get it. And then the house goes, not a character, the house is a character, the house goes, Get out! Like that. And you're like, no, houses don't yell get out. As often as they might. However, that's what happened in this meeting with Prophet Greed and Growth and Grophet in the corner. So they were told to get out. Uh, and uh, another company swooped in and then the board of supervisories um, uh, joined up and that's how the punchline came to be saved. A golden bucket of rainbow pride um, uh, Bitcoin was exchanged uh, at, at the border of the Russian River and olive oil was poured and the waters were stilled and a, a, and a, a tiny marsupial spoke 
They say it's a wombat. I don't believe it. The punchline save. Now people can do cocaine in the bathroom still. Exactly. So that's why we play Patty Smith's Victory here tonight. Uh, Planned Parenthood of the Bay Area is here tonight. Please go visit her and put money in. There's a strong box. I don't know if you saw it. An actual strong box with a slit where money goes in. Or checks. Or credit cards. Just drop your credit card in. It's the new fashion way to give. She has um, condoms there for those of you who are so inclined. If you're, if you're a condom user. Uh, also, if you don't use condoms, um, they're better than gum. They last forever. <laughs> Planned Parenthood of Northern California is called Planned Parenthood Northern California Action Fund, PPACT, um, and you can um, you can give online as well. I think there's a, uh, hang on while I look it up here. There's a, uh, a text you can text to if you want to donate to them. Why should I donate to Planned Parenthood, Greg? Well, um, there's an all-out assault um, by uh, pedophile um, predators that run the government. They're called the Republican Party. And what they're doing right now is trying to remove health care for women because um, they hate women and want them to die because they're a white supremacist, homophobic, misogynistic death cult. Now, they've taken over the country, and uh, we all know where we are. I don't want to bum anyone out. I'm just giving you the news here. A white supremacist, misogynist death cult has taken over the country. You may remember it happened in 2016. Uh, and uh, they, they are uh, trying to remove health care for women. When I say health care, I mean health care. Not just... Uh, uh, the whole abortion thing is so hilarious to me. Abortion is as natural as anything that could ever happen. By the way, it just happens sometimes. Anybody get up on that? Um, women aren't murderers. Women are awesome. Uh, and they are the people who uh, often... And women, I mean women with a Y, carry... Uh, are uh, the ones who carry on the race. As you notice, men often useless and screaming. Uh, men often complain about shit like I don't like the women in the world because my penis was small <laughs> or I don't like the new Ghostbusters because there's women and I can't relate because my penis is small or I'd have voted for Hillary but she's a bitch because my mother told me my penis was small or this is the litany of complaints men have they often follow the same thread uh, and so because they're in control now and people who um, look like they melted uh, at an easy bake oven uh, every single person that's around 45 has a misshapen head or no chin or is dripping from where they stand they all have that like they were not popular when they were little whatever horrible white supremacist privilege they've been given because of their wealth or position or family that they came from they've all carried on being awful every moment of their lives you can see it in the corrosiveness that's in their eyes um, Wilbur Ross by the way Robert Mueller we're going to get to this in a second Robert Mueller was accused of acting old yesterday have you heard Secretary of Commerce who tried to jigger the census so that people had to answer whether they were black or white or what country they came from which is totally and highly illegal according to every fucking federal statute Wilbur Ross talks like Mr. Burns from the fucking <laughs> census. He's ancient. He uh, is a complete criminal who's up to his ass in a, a backsheesh scandal with the Bank of Cyprus. He helped organize uh, the meeting that Eric Prince took in the Seychelles. He's, he's crooked of characters to come. Wilbur Ross talks like this. <laughs> Look, YouTube Wilbur Ross when you go home. Don't watch a lot of it. A little goes a long way. <laughs> It's like watching a salamander try to get out a last request. <laughs> There's only one 
one thing I want you to do. It's that awful. And it was revealed two days ago in Politico, which is one of the great right-wing rags that covers politics in this country. Hello. Yeah, uh, like the Hill. Um, Politico is just slightly left of the Hill, as Alexander the Great was slightly to the left of Napoleon. And they said Wilbur Ross falls asleep in meetings all the time and that morale at the Commerce Department's at an all-time low because they have to schedule the meetings for the 20 minutes that he sentient today. <laughs> Only the best people can drain the swamp. PPFA. Uh, to donate to Planned Parenthood of Northern California, the Action Fund, it's PPGive. That's PP. I'll spell it. <laughs> a lot of people listening are American. I know. This is the Bay Area. You're all educated. You all know how to order a bottle of wine. There's a lot of other people out there. They don't know what exculpatory means. We're going to get to that. They don't know the difference between collaboration and collusion. There is no such thing as collusion. PPGIVE 241444. That's PPGIVE 241444. Um, and their slogan is Everybody Deserves Life Saving Healthcare. Uh, and it's absolutely true. So we couldn't be more thrilled to have them here tonight. Sophia, um, who's the Macha over there, has sent people out at, um, to the to, 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 uh, person at the table. And uh, Kylie's here tonight, as I say. Drop by on your way to the loo or on your way to the bar or wherever you're going. Uh, don't go to the kitchen, that's full. Um, <laughs> And give them a nickel or give them a dime. And by that, I mean a five or a ten dollar bill. If I hear change crank, I'm coming over there. <laughs> because, as I've said on the show a bajillion times, people say things like, I got it. Oh, there goes my comma a little bit. Um, people say things like women's issues. Um, all issues are women's issues. Women are the majority of people. Isn't it kind of simple? Um, what men's issues are is their definite need to murder all the goddamn time and carry guns around and incite violence and be riotous fucking maniac weirdos who scream and shout and shit like that. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more men's issues that I almost did air quotes because it's always 1982 when I rock the mic, rock the mic. <laughs> Uh, a couple of quick things, and I want to talk about the punchline a little bit. I'm never going to get that to stay. Uh, oh, look, Kamala Harris. Now, I know, this is San Francisco. And uh, she was, of course, uh, a DA here, and then AG of the state of California, and then a senator, as you know, uh, to great aplomb. Um, she makes white racists nervous, which is my favorite thing about her. Uh, you may remember in the Jeff Sessions hearing, when Jeff Sessions, who was played by um, a foghorn leghorn... <laughs> Well, uh, slavery was a two-way street. There was the sacred bond between, uh, as Paul Gilmartin says, the, sa w w the emancipation proclamation broke the sacred bond between owner and slave. It's a great joke by Paul Gilmartin. It's out of context, so it's not very funny right now. But the point is this. That's how Jeff Sessions was. Jeff Sessions is such an awful racist. He's not there anymore. Instead, we have Bill Barr, who's like having... Uh, uh, the worst human being. If Jeff Sessions could have been worse, which I didn't think he could be. Um, we have Bill Barr, who, by the way, was subpoenaed by Congress the other day to appear before them because he refused to appear before them and absolved himself of the subpoena because he's the head of the Department of Justice. I know. And you think I'm lying when I say greed, profit, and growth walk around in a room full of wine, you guys. I'm not lying. It's fucking happening right now. Anyways. Uh, Jeff Sessions uh, was being questioned by our, our Kamala, and uh, 
She said yes or no, and he went, you, 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 you make me nervous. <laughs> One can only uh, surmise that his depends were filled with a dazzling variety of fluids. <laughs> I'll let you hazard a guess as to which kind of excretions Jeff Sessions had happen at that moment. The whole argument that she's a cop or whatever, um, you can take and stuff eight ways from Wednesday up your cadupus. Um, you may have noticed that the people who are currently residing there are criminals. So maybe the next best thing to happen would be someone to come in and fumigate the goddamn place. And as Jennifer's pointed out to me a thousand times, how do you move into the White House now knowing that they're going to have four years of planting bugs there? You can't live there. You have to have the place debugged for, what, two years? I mean, how long will it take to rip the floorboards up and find every goddamn microphone and every goddamn camera that they put in? I don't mean to be spooky, but when you go into the White House after 45 leaves, it's going to go, get out. <laughs> and then it's going to play, right? That's the old Soviet theme. Uh, and like that. Uh, we're driving over here tonight. Jennifer and I are coming over in the, in the cab. Yeah, we take cabs. And um, the, the best part about taking taxis is um, they go, goddamn fucking Ubers. <laughs> the whole way. Yeah. Now I know where they're fucking going. They're making U turns on Taylor. Cab driver couldn't have been nicer. He pulled up. We were headed. We were faced toward where we were coming. He was faced the other way. We crossed the street. He got. We got in, and he went. Thank you for crossing the street. You guys are faced the right way. And I was like, that's San Francisco. He had a computer on the front seat with him. Not a radio. A computer. And he was playing The Grateful Dead, which I recognized after a few beats. Um, time stood still. Jennifer leans over to me and goes, is this fish? And I go, no, it is actually The Grateful Dead. Because I recognize Jerry's voice. I don't know which song it was, um, because they have a lot of songs. And as Jennifer once said, The Grateful Dead is the uh, most accurate characterization I could ever think of. Um, it's country music for high bikers. <laughs> so, because it doesn't actually go like, it never goes like that. It's more like, there's a street up above. So I said to the cow driver, my heart rate is slowed. I wonder if you could put on the dead Kennedys. I didn't say that. And it would have been a hilarious thing to say. I said, uh, is this Grateful Dead Live? And then he goes, yes, it is. And I hazarded further, because I thought I recognized it. And I went, is this Europe 72? Oh, wow. And he goes, yeah, I'm from then. He goes, uh, no, it's 1981 in Connecticut. First he looked and went, I think it's the late 80s. And then he looked again and went, no, it's 81. 
in the 1880s was they added the Western edition. The Reverend Star King personally cut the ribbon one day with Bret Hart. It was quite a day. And uh, a jumping frog was there and whatnot. So we added... Now, the Western edition used to be quite black, and uh, uh, there was lots of jazz clubs there and whatnot. Even recently, Yoshi's used to be there. And then um, it got, and then the other side across Gary is the quite white part of Fillmore Street. So Fillmore describes many areas. And then where I lived on Hayes um, was the drug addict part of... Um, <laughs> I lived quite, right near where the... Um, uh, <laughs> the full house houses were. I lived in kind of a crack house right below there in the summer of 1981. Um, and our downstairs neighbor um, was a drug dealer, so we would go downstairs and buy drugs from him. And he had a Doberman pincher that I was mortified of that would run up and down and bark all day. And you were like, I can't tell it to shut up because I'm scared. And one of my friends went away to do summer stock up in Santa Rosa. And he had a big pile of laundry in his room that I was about to take possession of for three months. And I go, Mike, what are you going to do with all your laundry? And he took a giant garbage can and put the laundry in there, put the lid on it, and put it outside. <laughs> and I went, what are you going to do with it? He went, I'm leaving it there. I'll come back and get it when I'm done. I'm like, you're going away for three months. <laughs> in that flat, um, w there was a bacon grease can uh, of uh, uh, French Market. Do you remember the French Market coffee can, the red one with the blue label, right? When you would buy it, it had chicory in it. You'd get it. In the old days in San Francisco, there was no such thing as gourmet coffee. You'd go to the supermarket or the corner store, and the big gourmet fucking coffee would be this French Market coffee. And then you'd buy a Molita filter or whatever, and then you'd run out of Molita filters, and you would use a paper towel, which made the coffee taste like a paper towel. And then if you ran out of paper towels, you would try once with toilet paper and realize that that wasn't going to work. Because once you poured the boiling water in the toilet paper disintegrated. Then you would use a t-shirt. I'm going through all the stages of Molina depletion. A Molina filter is, fits in a plastic or wooden thing that sits on top of a carafe, right, that the coffee goes in. And you would put this much coffee in it and then you'd pour the boiling water on it. And sometimes if you wanted to get crazy in those days, cinnamon. <laughs> So this tin lived on top of the, uh, the ancient 1940s range with the black knobs and the clock that hasn't worked since Roosevelt died. The clock stopped the day Roosevelt died, 1925. And thank you. Uh, an O'Keefe and Merritt range that, yeah. lived, that weighs 5 million pounds that you have no idea how they got it up. The 76 steps from the bottom of Hay Street because those houses are precipitously gathered on top of giant steps. And um, 
uh, I remember walking into the kitchen one morning and a mouse was standing with its back feet on the, on the white ledge drinking out of the bacon grease. And I was like, you know, I, I'm not going to cook today. <laughs> so, uh, where Post and Steiner was is where the, uh, the Fillmore... Is the Fillmore still there? Yeah. yeah. Fillmore's on Fillmore. To orient the people I'm talking about who don't live in San Francisco. And uh, it was a much more colorful neighborhood once upon a time. And by colorful, I mean dangerous. And uh, poorer and less gentrified. And Post and Steiner was even more dangerous in those days. This is the 70s. Um, I've told the story many times, uh, although it's always worth retelling because it's so fucking fraught with hilarity. Uh, I went up with my friend Jay and we drove in his Toyota. And I think we were going to see, and I'm not kidding, I'm so embarrassed by this, I could just fucking die, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ever lie to you, other than when I want to tell a joke. Um, we went to see Richie Blackmore's Rainbow with Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, yeah. Love you, rock and roll, love you, rock and roll. And um, this one's for Ronnie, right? Yeah. And we were shit-faced on... Um, weed and uh, meth and uh, tequila and we drove up from San Carlos which is a small white principality some 30 minutes south of here how white was San Carlos? our Catholic school was called St. Charles St. Carlos means St. Charles you guys so we just thought it'd be nicer for everyone if we didn't have a Mexican name you know so that regular people would feel better about themselves we're next to Belmont which means beautiful mountain it's even wider than we are so we drove up, and there was no parking at Winterland. Winterland was not a place that you parked. Winterland was a place that was originally meant to store hashish for the entirety of the Bay Area. And that's what its purpose had been for thousands of years. And of course, everyone made an album there and shit, and uh, well, nobody did. And um, it had a wooden floor. Some of my basic, basic memories of Winterland, the many times I went there was, um, someone would be um, ill to their tummy, and that would be on the floor, and no one would come and clean it up, and a circle would form around that area for the rest of the show. It was festival seating, which Bill Graham meant there are no chairs. If you wish to seat, there were seats on the side, because it was, I think, a hockey rink or a... It was kind of an exhibition hall. It was like a cow palace or something. And um, there were seats on the side, but not on the floor. And the floor was beautiful wooden parquet from, like, the 30s that had fitted... I don't know anything about carpentry, but uh, it had little Karens and Richards that held it together. And um, thank you. That one will just slide right by, shall I? Thank you. Here's, here's one of my first jokes I wrote in the 80s. Um, when I was young, I wanted to be a carpenter, but... Now that Karen's died, what's the point? So, really? I was young. And uh, 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 whatever they call it, where they uh, attach hinges to one piece of wood to another. And uh, that was how the floor was. But because it had been so beaten up and so many Grateful Dead concerts and shit, that they were coming up. And I remember having a piece of that wood. I have no idea where it is now. Of course, I would have loved to have it. Uh, why would you want a piece of wood? Because I'm sentimental. Get out. And so, Jay and I are real high when I get out of the car, the Toyota. He go, in fact, he said to me, we finally found a parking place, right, on Steiner or somewhere. And he goes, 
get out of the car, this is a real tight space, and I'll, you know, right? So he starts to do the uh, laborious back and forth parking thing. And I go out into the street like this, I'm probably 18, and I'm shit-faced, I have long hair and like a Mickey Mouse t-shirt and sunglasses on, right? And, <laughs> and a black uh, 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 Lincoln Continental is coming down the street with, with trim on the outside and shit. And um, I go, fuck you, when they drive by, right? And they stop, and they pull back, and the window goes down. The black tinted windows, the windows are black, you can't see inside. And two 450-pound Samoan gangsters. <laughs> whose eyes are red as the volcanic uh, as Mauna Loa, just the, the gaseous of, of Pompeii, of Stromboli. Their eyes are shot through with blood. Um, there's weaponry hanging from the filials, and they have a, a, a tiny steering wheel made of chain. And they're quite large, and they're very relaxed. Is there some kind of problem? And they went, <laughs> no problem at all. I was just enjoying good fellowship and in all its single digit glory. Because <laughs> if there's a problem, I can deal with it. on the spring night. <laughs> what would bring us to this terrible, clanking destiny that you and I should disagree? <laughs> I wonder might the rubric of anima once again be raised and that we can all share in our collective humanity. Because <laughs> if we need to deal with it, we will. <laughs> No further study, my good friend, and yet blast off into that wonderful night. And what adventures wait you? I bid you fair. Let's just say au revoir. A do is too conclusive, don't you feel? Window goes up, and they drive off. I fall to the curb, and I'm weeping. Because I am an 18 year old shit faced punk from San Carlos. I'm crying on the curb because I really thought they were going to fucking shoot me. Because I stood in the middle of the road and went like this to their fucking car. And they stopped. Jay has seen none of this. Just in parking. He gets out of the car and I'm crying on the side. It's been maybe two minutes. Like, what happened now? incident took place because the Grateful Dead in 1978 was a finely tuned um, apparatus. I wouldn't say machine because machine would mean it would glide. It did however move along under its own animal like yeah. Watching a Grateful Dead show was like watching a camel caravan cross the desert. It started in the long distance the hips cranking, the legs in the 
the package is gently swaying from side to side. Every once in a while, and then it would disappear into the horizon. It was a religious experience. Why are you waving your phone? It was a religious experience. I've never been to a show where I thought there was more of a connection between the fans and the band, honestly. And uh, at the time, and I wasn't on acid that night. I was, what, what? Oh, you angel. Thank you. Someone shouted out, till now. And his obsidian heart broke that night. Could it be the Grinch's heart? Cindy Lou Who, who was only just two. All the Who's that in Whoville loved Christmas love. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville. Yes, I'm doing Jeremy Irons, not Boris Every woman at the Grateful Dead show was wearing a long skirt, like the girls at my high school, St. Carlos High, who used to sing circle games and all the Judy Collins songs at the talent show. There was one girl saying, I feel the earth move, I remember that, by Carol King. Yeah. I feel the earth move under my feet. I feel the sky tumble. I got a lot of people in here. Um, and Stand it when you look at me that way. I just got to have you, baby. Uh, 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 uh. Um, she was a bit frizzy for me. She did, however, write the locomotion, so she gets a lifetime house. A chug a chug emotion like a robot twain. And, um, so all the, the hippier girls at my school, uh, we had one guy who would sing original songs, Brian Woodbury, and he affected a kind of Bob Dylan on Rolling Thunder thing. He had kind of a like soft felt wampum hat and the chuckle boots. And his songs were quite good. One of them went like this. Um, uh, um, oh, I can't sing that one. All right, here's one. <laughs> we're going dragging on the Sunset Strip. I'm not fucking with you. And I didn't throw shit. Didn't throw shit. One, two, three, we're going dragging. That was awesome. And, but he had a folkier side too. And then uh, the, the hippier girls in the school come out and sing circle games. Or, um, uh, uh, I like the fire. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> you put the flowers in the vase that you bought today. <laughs> I went to school in the Saturdays. So we had Crosby Stills and National Talent Shows. And then I would get up and do like Abbott and Costello. <laughs> Because we didn't know you could write jokes. We thought you just learned other people's jokes and fucking did them, and that was somehow fucking funny. The laughter you're giving now is exactly what my jokes are. <laughs> Not so funny. They wore long skirts with uh, like little sandaly shoes, and they spun every girl of the Grateful Dead show. <laughs> So it was awesome. Uh, and because it was 78, they hadn't played Dark Star since whenever they hadn't played it. 
And uh, there was a big banner that said Dark Star, and it had the actual amount of days written on it, hoping that the dead would see the banner and play. Look up, and like Jerry would go like, Wow, I just did a lot of heroin. Oh, fuck, we haven't played Dark Star in a while. <laughs> hey, Bob, what do you think? Should we play Dark Star? And Bob would go, oh, no. <laughs> Look over at Phil, and Phil's hair would be like this. And like, I don't know. When did we play it last? I don't know. You know, Mickey. When did we play Dark Star? I wasn't in the band then. <laughs> I don't know what their backstage dialogue was like. <laughs> they tuned up for an hour between every song. That I remember. An hour. Sometimes ten minutes. Sometimes ten minutes between songs, and it would be bum 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 bum. And then Jerry go, we're sorry it's taken so long. We just want it to sound right. So the cab driver was playing that the whole way over. The first song finished after a while, after my life ended. And then the next song, I saw him reach over because I was looking over the seat to the computer and he teed up another one. And he's like, this one's from later. <laughs> Jerry Garcia was a lovely human being and we're lucky to have had him in the Bay Area uh, he was a wonderful uh, musician and a, and a very lovely guy um, my favorite other story was one time he was going back to Stinson where he lived um, for those of you who don't live in the Bay Area Stinson Beach is over on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge not the Bay Bridge, the Bay Bridge is the silver one and now the partially Copenhagen one and yeah, we went Scandinavian. I love the second half of the Bay Bridge now. Because all of a sudden you're like, Rain Finland, this is awesome. Did, did I just drive into a Volander mystery? Because it used to be that, you know, that WPA 1930s rock steel and the miracle of technology. And engineering. And here's a seagull over the city by the bay. Homosexuals will live there later. For now, we have not yet had World War II. This is a work process during the Depression where we gave lots of people a job so that they could die building an enormous bridge. To connect Oakland to San Francisco. So there was that part of the bridge, and then they knocked it down finally and put up the second half of the bridge where you're like, We haven't seen Greta since Wednesday. It's festival week. I have a terrible feeling about your grandfather, Kenora. That's what the bridge looks like now. So the other bridge is the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's international orange, in case you want to know what color it is. International orange. Don't ask. And they paint it constantly from one end to the other. And they're never going to put a suicide barrier up because we don't care. And this is San Francisco. There's a few things we don't care about here. Uh, whether there's affordable rent for anyone, whether there's homeless people, and whether you fucking die stepping on a needle in the tender one. There's three things that San Francisco has made perfectly clear in the 50 years I've been coming here. And, and those are those three things. Oh, and that the zoo's going to be sad and disappointing. <laughs> There's going to be awesome burritos. There's weed shops everywhere. Watch out for the scooters. There's going to be dickheads who go to the Giants game who come from uh, Black Hawk and whatnot. That's inevitable. There's going to be assholes from Santa Clara who drive up in Nears and go, Fuck it. You know how it is. It's the Barry. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That if you're from Millbrae, your name is probably Mike. 
come from the outer sunset, you're going to wear Ben Davis pants and have a drug problem and probably kill your commanding officer. <laughs> when I'm lying, jump right in. Until then, gaze in fucking breathless wonder at the verisimilitude and veracity of the fucking holy grit that I am laying down. May I have another um, alcohol-based beverage? Thank you. And um, I hope that went over the mic. <laughs> <laughs> now the camera turns to the wound of refreshment. Oh shit, we gotta start the show. Fuck it, I didn't even get to that. Alright, fine. Uh, I wanted to talk about this room just a little bit, um, and then I want to tell you a joke. I've got a lot of gifts here, a lot of slides, maybe I not get to. Oh, fuck it, it's my show, fuck you. Um, thank you, Angel. Sometimes they trick me here at the punch and um, put a lime in it, and then I'm like, am I in old Mexico? <laughs> Yeah, it gets crazy here. <laughs> I'm making an album this weekend, by the way. Um, here's the story of the album. Uh, a year ago, I made an album here called The Resistance. And um, Jennifer, of course, is at the back of everything here. Because, uh, as we often discuss, behind every great man, there's a great woman pegging him. <laughs> and, <laughs> so... Uh, I, about a year ago, or, she says to me, Greg, she says, because it's my given name, uh, Greg, she says, um, you haven't made an album in four years, because the last album I made here before that was called In the Ballpark, uh, right after the Giants won the third gold ring. Uh, by the way, Zesty Little Month this month. Yeah. If we don't keep Mad Bum, I'm going to be mad. Uh, angry Bum. Uh, yeah, we, 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 we're streaking right now, which I didn't expect at all, because the first three months of the season, it was like, oh my God, the team's on life support. We're the 1899 Cleveland Spiders who won 20 games. The 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Not that I care. Um, I was talking about something, and I'm sure it was hilarious. Oh, so I was going to make the album, right? I, I had no intention of making an album. I was content to smoke weed and uh, watch old movies on telly. And Jennifer, because you haven't made an album in four years, and I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I gave the teenage response. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, why don't you make one? And I go, I'm not kidding. Oh, oh, I'm new material. <laughs> I, I improvise a hundred days a year and more. I, I'm on the road with News Live anyway. We're, we're doing a hundred dates this year. And I yeah! do dozens and dozens of podcasts where I improvise the whole thing. And I said to her, and she went, I've got an idea. You're a comedian. Why don't you write some? Well, I can take a hint. So I wrote an album, and I, that one came out last year, uh, in like October, September. Uh, Ryan will be tomorrow. He, he recorded it. And I, that one has written material. So... The punchline's going to close, right? Remember profit and growth and profit and all that? 
and I thought this would be my last time to ever play here, and that we'd literally have to watch the place get knocked down, and I'd say goodbye to all the employees, and we'd all go outside and smoke one last joint. And um, uh, uh, so I said, well, yeah. I go, I don't have any material as such, because I've been working on material, but um, I could improvise and help and tell all these stories about the punchline, and it'll be this, this uh, valedictorian um, trip down memory lane full of vaunted comedians and golden fucking recollections imbued with an enormous sense of satire. And then, two days ago, oh, the club's not closing. <laughs> so if you come this weekend, wow. I've promised to improvise four sets. Yeah. It's a no-repeat Friday. Here's a golden joke from 1986. 1986! <laughs> I've got you, and that's all I want. Yeah. Yeah. Just to provide background music to each joke. <laughs> Who could forget this great year? Bum, 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 bum. We made it through the wilderness. Here's a great group's joke from 1983. <laughs> I have jokes from that. Um, I'm trying to think of one. Oh, I'm old. I, I think I have a Billy Carter joke somewhere. <laughs> I know we did a Falklands Islands joke. Here's one from 88. Oliver North gets pulled over for speeding. Do you know how fast you were doing? <laughs> no, I don't, officer, but I thank God for giving me the foresight to buy this powerful American car. That's a 1988 contract. I did it in Fremont at a club called Stripes one night. And a dude at the bar yelled out, At least it wasn't a fucking rice burner! <laughs> that really happened. Good night. Great night at the yard. Yeah, Fremont. <laughs> the delicate sensibilities. The Sunshine Saloon in Pleasanton. They would turn the video game off and make the bikers quit playing pool and go, all right, we're having a fucking comedy show. <laughs> and so the bikers would be like, killed your fucking cat. I'm from San Carlos, the whitest place on earth. How about the Plain Yogurt Festival? Who threw that? So, over the Golden Gate Bridge is where Marin is. And other than Marin City, Marin is a lot of people named Jasmine and investment bankers named Steve. They live in a magical wonderland. There's um, Mill Valley, where we're allowed to go, and Sausalito. Then there's Tiburon and Belvedere, where you're not allowed to go unless you were appointed a judge by Reagan. <laughs> when he was governor. And then there's Kentfield and Ross, where no one's allowed to go unless you're uh, uh, made of uh, buckwheat. 
and you live in a bowl and you've got almond and coconut around you. It's pretty white. I love it. It's nice because it's beautiful. They have wheat, wine, cheese, and then when you drive over to West Marin, um, there's seals and shit. And assholes who go, look, there's a whale. And you're like, there's no fucking whale. It's true. Go to Point Reyes Lighthouse. That Point Reyes is beautiful. It's, it's just a stunning movie location. And you stand there, and at the end, in the great vast Pacific Ocean, you can almost see Japan. It's that clear. And if the curvature of the earth wasn't in the way, you could see the smoke rising. Uh, um, and uh, last time we were there, Jennifer and I were there, and the guy's going, there's a whale over there! And we look over, and there's like, there's no fucking whale. Like, You're being a whale dick. Except, except whale dicks are huge and impressive. And you're being small and disappointed. There's a whale! No, there's not. Stop fucking saying it. I felt bad when I pushed him over. But as his body somersaulted down the rocks like a dummy in an SCTV sketch. <laughs> Tears of joy filled everyone's eyes that were standing on that precipice. Even his friends didn't miss him. I was like, I'm sorry about your friend. And they're like, he's kind of a dick. Thank you. I don't know why I'm looking at this. So Jerry was recording in San Francisco. We're on the same story, by the way. The show has moved no farther forward from when it started an hour ago. Now, if you want a definition of inertia, the body at rest, is that, is that the first law? Kepler's first law? Body in motion. Body at rest. So a show at rest. Uh, Jerry was finished for the day here, whatever he was doing, and he was driving back to Stinson where he lived, which is a beautiful secluded beach, down, by the way, one of the most harrowing rides you'll ever take. There, there are Charles Bronson movies set in the south of, uh, of France that are not as harrowing on their fucking ride down. The, it, it takes a thief with Cary Grant when they do the fucking car ride down the thing. Is it as scary as the ride to Stinson Beach when you're sober? <laughs> and at night there's no lights whatsoever it's just terrifying the whole fucking way if you see like I do which is very sexily blind <laughs> being with me is like being with Donald Pleasance in The Great Escape <laughs> every night James Garner asks me to walk across the cell and every night I trip and fall <laughs> and then I make a beautiful passport for him <laughs> As Morgan Freeman says in the movie The Unforgiven, you can't see shit! <laughs> you can't see shit! <laughs> so, uh, he drove back to Stinson. But before he got there, because he was Jerry Garcia and this was the 80s, he stopped in Golden Gate Park, which is adjacent, next stop the freeway, right? Or next stop the bridge. And he uh, took out some crack cocaine and uh, was enjoying it in his car. His BMWs, smoking some rock. And a SFPD pulls up and is like, Really? It's Jerry Garcia. And they, and he, and they're like, Really? And he's like, What? 
And the, the cop said to him, go home. Do that at home. And he's like, thank you. <laughs> I think they pulled him in. But I always love that story. I love wanting to get high so badly that you can't wait 25 minutes to get back to your beachfront property. We all know the feeling. If you don't have a sense of urgency, it's something you might try to develop. I was recently in Canada, the city, country, and uh, we were in Winnipeg, and then subsequent to that, uh, uh, um, two other places. And, and one was Saskatoon, and uh, the other was the other city, not Regina, which is the funniest named city in all of the Everybody's favorite city to say in North America. Where are you going? Regina. <laughs> um, I can't remember the other city. We were in some other bizarre, really dinky fucking place. And um, not Calgary, outside of Calgary. It wasn't BAM! Stop guessing! It was, it was Lloyd Minster. Since, you're, since you forced me to this now, with your incessant fucking male guessing. First of all, it wasn't going to be a dick measuring contest, which in Canada is in meters. And it's not a dick, it's a loony. We were in Lloydminster, Alberta, which is across the border from Lloydminster, Saskatchewan. And they both have the same name, and yet they're on either side of the border. Across the street from our hotel was a Denny's, a haircut place called, like, Rocky's Tough Cuts. I'm not kidding. And a marijuana dispensary. So I had to run across the freeway, which I did, because I had to go to Denny's. And then I had to go to the marijuana dispensary after Denny's. They couldn't have been nicer. Canadian weed's good, which isn't a surprise. If you've ever been to Vancouver at any point in your life, it's like you walk, you get off the airport in Vancouver and they're like, really? And you're like, yeah, okay. Um, and that was my Grateful Dead story. I wish it had a higher laugh content. We'll be recording an album this weekend, which, of course, by the time this goes out, will be a moot point. And then on the 1st of August, we'll be in Tacoma doing a podcast there. The 2nd of August, uh, uh, doing stand-up at the Tacoma Comedy Club, then uh, the third, uh, Spokane Comedy Club, which is in Spokane. Um, she don't lie, she don't lie, she don't lie. Spokane. And then the fourth of August, we'll be at the Spokane Comedy Club doing a podcast. We're doing one on the Thursday, one on the Sunday. Then on the seventh, we'll be showing Babette's Feast at the Aero Theater in yes. Santa Monica. Yes. Uh, 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 we're back uh, doing the Great Coops Film Club. Last month we showed, uh, Willy, oh, two weeks ago, we showed Willy Wonka at um, the Egyptian. We're moving to the Arrow in Santa Monica for our LA friends. And um, the Arrow is a very sexy little art theater out in Santa Monica. And uh, we'll be showing Babette's Feast, which is a tremendous picture. Yes. Uh, Danish? Yes. Danish picture yes. uh, from the 80s. And then, um, uh, then I'll be in Edinburgh for the Isle of August, uh, the 13th through the 26th at the Underbelly. Mike McShane, Marcus Brickstock, Phil Gibbonis, Richard Vaughn. Uh, Clive Anderson, yes, Clive Anderson will be there. We're going to be doing his live, uh, live there for a couple of weeks, and then on two podcasts, the 14th and the 19th at the Gilded Balloon, and then the Soho Theater in London for our London Chums on uh, the 28th of August. Um, if you survive, Boris Johnson being your new prime minister. Uh, how much time do we have? We really don't have that much. Time. Oh, we have some time. We have time. We have time. Where are you? Shut up. We'll make it. Um, last week was uh, Robin Williams' birthday, and um, exactly, I had the very good pleasure of uh, knowing him and uh, enjoying an acquaintance with him, and we were friendly. 
And uh, I was in a group here in the 80s called the Comedy Underground. And every Monday night, we would, uh, me and Debbie Durst and Michael Bossier would drive out, um, and the freeway was still here then, that went right down Washington Street, the Embarcadero Freeway, before the earthquake, um, would dump you right off at the punchline, basically. So we would smoke weed the whole way and listen to Prince or Led Zeppelin or the Beastie Boys or whatever, and um, we'd come here. And Robin sat in with us a couple nights on this very stage, and Robin was extraordinary to improvise with. One, because he was the greatest genius uh, comedically that I've ever been near in my entire life. And two, uh, he was uh, fantastically um, physically strong and sweaty. So I remember standing right there on the stage and having Robin have me in a headlock, his hairy breasts up against my face, covered in moisture. And I shall always treasure those memories. Um, he was uh, everything uh, that a human being uh, could be. He was um, kind and generous and thoughtful and grand and enormously inspirational to all the comics of my generation and, and subsequent generations uh, that started here when he was um, as uh, um, uh, Warren Thomas, my other great friend and influence, uh, uh, who's also uh, not here anymore. He's swimming in the heavens. Warren Thomas pictures in the dressing room here, and he was my best friend. And he uh, uh, often said to me that Robin was um, our Elvis. And then, fantastically, uh, because Warren was quite clever that way, would always call Janine Garofalo alternative mork. <laughs> because Robin was our mork for mork, you see. Robin was doing a set at the Holy City Zoo, which was a quite a tiny place, about 80 people. And you were stuffed in. And whenever Robin would come on stage, everyone from the neighborhood would come around and gather and fill the place up. And Robin would often do an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, two hours. I saw him do a couple hours at the other cafe in the middle of the night for like 18 people. Fucking the funniest goddamn stand-up thing you've ever... As Harold Pinter said, he would wait till he got to the provinces and then crack off Shakespeare, you know? Like, it would be a Tuesday night for no reason and he'd come late and that would be it. Like, you do, there was no... He was obviously able to generate his genius any time he felt the... Um, me because his craft was so refined and his impulse was so um, dedicated and pure and unbelievable bravura. Um, uh, and uh, uh, he, uh, 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 that night at the other cafe, got up and did an hour and 45 minutes. So, anyways, Larry Brown, Bubbles as we know him here, who's a legendary San Francisco comedian, this is the repeated joke that he did. Uh, Robin finishes his set, he's been up for an hour and a half, and then he's done now. And uh, he leaves the tiny stage, and you had to walk in front of the stage to make egress from the room. So you finished your set, and you walked like this in front of everybody. You guys would be the front row, right behind you, so everyone in the room could see you walk out. So they bring up Larry, and they're like, here's Larry Bubblesbound, and Larry gets up in front of the mic, and Robin walks across in front of him, and he goes, hey, Mork, where are you going? I sat through Popeye. <laughs> The nicest thing anyone said to me in the last year, uh, moving swiftly on and remembering Robin always, uh, was, uh, and he called me Mr. Proops, which I'll never forget. Aww. He didn't call me Greg, he called me Mr. Proops. He would go, oh, 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 Mr. Proops. And I go, Robo, I'm in charge of shaving people for Paramount. Would you like to do a set? That was how we talked to each other. Uh, 
the nicest thing anyone has said to me in the last year, I was in Portland, Oregon last Christmas, and a woman said to me, um, I like you, you're not a misogynist piece of shit. <laughs> Oh, oh. Then, I was, oh. Then, I was, then I was in Toronto uh, at the uh, uh, Toronto Comedy Festival, JFL, of 42, last year. That was uh, October-ish, September-ish. And a woman came up to me at the podcast and went, I was wearing a suit and I just put cologne on it. She went, you look and smell good. And I was like, that's what every man dreams of hearing. And then I was having my stitches removed from my um, uh, uh, micro shunt in my left eye, which keeps the glaucoma down pressure. And Dr. Chung, who's my surgeon in Los Angeles, did not perform that surgery. Uh, Dr. Ahmed in Toronto did. However, I went back and I was like, there's a, a real horrible crunkly feeling in my eye. And she's like, the stitches are working their way out of your eyeball. And, oh yeah, it gets better. So she goes, I'm going to pull them out. So you're, you put your head in a little vice thingy and like this, right? And you have to open your eyes real wide. And Dr. Chung took fucking implements and first of all, snipped one off with the scissors and then pulled one the fuck out. And I sat like this. Jennifer's right there. Jennifer's not, like just watching, right? And I went like this and she cut the fucking thing out and pulled the other one out. And she goes, you took that like a woman. Uh, our good friend Lewis, who's been a friend of the show for ages, my secret San Francisco. Um, it's uh, clearly from another time. Complete dinners for one dollar and other fantastic <laughs> things to do in San Francisco. Uh, yeah, there's menus from old restaurants. The Bonanza Sirloin Pit on Beach Street, which I remember. Rosario's on Jefferson. Uh, San Remo on Mason. Uh, wow. Green Valley, Jake's, the coffee gallery. These are all long disappeared. Uh, however, there's still a few places here. Cafe Clothes still here. Sam's yeah. is still here. Tadich is still here. Yeah. Uh, Stoma's is still here. Um, Fisherman's Grotto number nine. I hate that. Oh, I go to tourist places because they're fucking fun, baby. Uh, which one? Sam Will. Oh, Sam Will. Now, I've told all my Sam Will stories, but uh, that was a, a very favorite place of mine. The waiter there was named Edsel Ford Fong. He was the rudest waiter in the world. And when women would come and he'd go like this, and they'd start to put a kiss on his cheek, and he'd turn and me to them. Oh, yeah. It was funny in those days. Narrator. No, it wasn't. We thought it was funny. The best part was random Scandinavian tourists would come in in their fucking Birkenstocks and shorts and shit and their fucking beards. And he ran the biggest line of fucking Oriental bullshit you've ever seen. There was a sign on the wall that said, no Coke, no 7-Up, no bullshit. Because <laughs> people come in and go, can I get a Coke? And, and he would pretend to speak in a pigeon accent. Because he didn't. I spoke to him at other times. I was in the place at 11 o'clock in the morning and had a conversation with him and he spoke like this. But it, when it was dinner time in the dining room, he'd go, I don't know what I am with God. It's horribly racist. That's what he did. I'm sorry. And he, the Scandinavians would come in and he would make them wait on tables and gather the dishes and shit. Oh, no, you go over there. No bullshit. You go over there. Pick it up. Pick it up. 
they'd have to carry all the dishes. They're like, oh, you just came in to eat. And they'd be fucking carrying. There was a dumbwaiter. That's the, a dumbwaiter, right? Ding, ding. It would open up and they'd fucking put the dishes in it and it would, a rope would go down. And there was an assistant in the dining room where, where he worked who had those shoes that you would see in Chinatown, that, like the gumboot ones that had the weird orthopedic soles. And I don't know if he was, something was, he was, I don't, he, Edsel abused him. See now, goddammit! It was fucking awesome. Now that we've broken the Asian stereotype barrier here tonight, which I'm proud to say, as a San Franciscan, we used to go to the Giants games in the 60s. There was a Chinese man named Gus, and he often frequented the right field side, the first base side, and he wore a gigantic coat that was too big for him. He smoked a cigarette, he had a cane and a black Giants hat, and you'd go, Come on, goddammit, Willie McCovey! Goddammit, Willie McCovey, you get hit! Through the whole fucking game. Anyone who's my age will remember this. Goddammit, Willie Mays! You get hit, goddammit! That's good. No, that's too much. Uh, here we go. Uh, uh, let's see here. Um, my hatred for Facebook <laughs> is like an orchid that I'm raising. <laughs> I'm like Raymond Burr. There's just me, a young man, and a very hot room where I incubate uh, my hatred for Facebook. <laughs> Why, Greg? Why? Well, they helped throw the election in 2016 by taking money from foreign entities and allowing Cambridge Analytica to access millions and millions and millions, I can't express or exaggerate how many millions of people identity they stole. And uh, they had to pay this week a $5 billion fine. Oh. $5 um, Which is a nickel to him. It would be like if you went, you reach in your pocket and was like, I thought I had a dollar bill. Fuck. Oh well. <laughs> That's what it's like for them to pay a $5 billion fine. Um, in my opinion, um, Cheryl Landsberg and Mark and all of them, um, some jail time would do them good. Yes. Um, tampering with the American election, letting foreign entities buy things, and letting people's identity be stolen so that you can have money for it. And by the way, they made way more than $5 billion in the corrupt practices that they practiced. Um, and from the fine they paid today. That's my, my opinion. Of course, you can go as quiet as you like. <laughs> There's a lot of white people here, and you're like, but I talked to my older relatives on Facebook. <laughs> I would never deny people the use of Facebook. I think it has a use. I just think that the people who run it, when you think about, and I've said this a thousand times on the show, and forgive me for repeating myself, we often think about banking interests or arms dealers or real estate developers as the evil, most evil people in the world. Tech, tech giants, tech giants. There is no difference between Andrew Carnegie, the head of Chevron Oil, Jamie Dimon, and Mark Zuckerberg. No moral difference whatsoever. It's like saying Pol Pot was cooler because he ate noodles. It's that analogy. You know what? Stalin had a lot of great pierogi. I'm sorry, Piroshki. So he was morally superior to Somoza, you know, or Marcos. Yeah. No, they're evil, greedy, greedy. And I was going to say fuck pig, but that's still a little too on the nose. 
Following reports of the transfer of personal information of over 50 million users from Facebook to data mining firm Cambridge Analytica, the firm that came up with lock her up and drain the swamp. That's why we have those phrases. They were generated in Russia by Robert Mercer, who funded Cambridge Analytica, via Steve Bannon, who sold them to Facebook, who data mined our uh, information, including yours and mine. We were all on Facebook then. I was. Um, and I would get trolled by Nazis who would put the PD the Frog thing up and call Michelle Obama the N-bomb on my Facebook page. Oh, yeah. I think we all remember the glorious days of 2016 and 2015 leading up to the election. I know you've all gone quiet now and you're like, is this the boring preaching part? Yeah. Uh, Facebook is facing probes, including the United States, the European Union, UK, Israel, India, and Canada. The United States Federal Trade Commission has started investigating whether or not the use of personal data, well, they've already concluded that. A multi-billion dollar penalty, the company has accepted a 20-year long, 20-year long agreement that enforces it to implement a new organizational framework, blah, blah, blah. Um, none of the officers at Facebook have been punished, and none of them are going to do any jail time. A $5 billion fine is a slap on the wrist, and um, wowzers, McTavish. Moving on. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, Mueller testified in front of Congress, and Mueller... Just to give you a little background, I know everybody didn't watch this and everybody's not interested and everybody doesn't care and, and uh, there's all this weird narratives going on. Um, Robert Mueller is a conservative. Robert Mueller was the head of the FBI. Robert Mueller worked in intelligence. Robert Mueller served in Vietnam as a Marine. Robert Mueller is a straight arrow, as we used to say in the old days, and he has a couple of things going for them. One, integrity, and two, an inability um, to tolerate bullshit. Um, he is, in fact, and I, I detest patriotism with every fiber of my being. It is the last <laughs> refuge of the scoundrel. I have no understanding of why you would root for one country over another country when clearly everybody is generally the same except we let fuckpicks like Mark Zuckerberg live amongst us and fucking grab money from us every second of the goddamn day and that's somehow a capitalist society. And by the way, Mark Zuckerberg's not even in the top 20 evil people that were involved in the last election. Lest you think I'm lambing on him too hard and, 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 and leaning in on him as sure would say. <laughs> Robert Mueller gave testimony for seven hours yesterday after uh, uh, dropping a 400-page report uh, several months ago that uh, Barr, who we discussed earlier, uh, the Robert Zemeckis of evil. Um, <laughs> thank you. Robert Zemeckis is a film director who looks exactly like Robert Barr. And by the way, uh, Barr's father is the one who uh, gave Jeff Epstein his um, appointment yeah. as a teacher at Dalton. In case you think the circle of evil is not unbroken, and that uh, 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 the DHS with its child trafficking, and Jeff Epstein with his child trafficking, and 45, our president with his child trafficking and his model agencies, isn't all part of a gigantic piece, it is. Rich white guys want to imprison and traffic women because they don't like women very much, and their own lives are dismal and horrible, and there's no, there is a criminal justice system, it just doesn't um, serve any of the words within the title of it. There is no justice, the criminals are never imprisoned, and there is no system. Uh, if you or I were to walk out of this building and drop a giant bag of cocaine on the ground, we might suffer some severe consequences. If you were to be the head of a company that gave 50 million people um, uh, uh, their personal data, you might just get a fine for that. If you were a person who met with the Russians consistently, whose um, campaign manager and personal lawyer are doing major federal time right now, and still you can yell every two seconds and make the noise machine carry on for you that you're innocent. I believe 45 called himself a very innocent person today. If you can still run that line of bullshit on me till the end of fucking time, you'll understand that there's 
no criminal justice system. Otherwise, criminals would receive justice. Um, we're hoping on the Epstein thing that um, uh, uh, he does go away for a really long time. I don't want him killed in prison. I don't want him hurt. We'll never find everything out if that happens. Um, a bit like Ted Bundy when they executed him. He had much more to tell. Hmm. A macabre point, and perhaps not as funny as I wanted, but here we go. <laughs> Robert Mueller uh, testified yesterday, and the optics that the New York Times, the Washington Post... Um, um, what's his name? He's on MSNBC. He hosts um, Meet the Press. He's got... I know who he is. I'm getting to it. <laughs> I know everyone else wants to yell it out at the top of their voice. Because we're all wishing that Chuck Todd had pulled a Matt Lauer or uh, 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 a Charlie Rose and had been ex- you know, just removed from society like the painful hair that he is. The painful receding hair that he is on the top of his horrible fucking goateed fucking false equivalence fucking face. He was winner of the Golden Fallacy. That's false equivalence's highest award in journalism. (laughs) Chuck Todd, here's Chuck Todd reporting in 1941. (laughs) Well, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor today, but again, America left a lot of ships there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Allies uh, liberated Dachau today, but then, you know, the Jews should have wondered what they wandered into. Yeah, he's that odious, ladies and gentlemen. What's wrong with the press isn't that they're the fake news. What's wrong with the press is that they're run by white men whose interests are only in one area, and that's to sustain fascism so that they can carry on making money. As long as Chuck Todd can go to the same Canadian hockey hairstylist that he goes to and get a table at the Daily Grill and keep receiving a paycheck from the NBC Corporation, he is going to keep... To remind you of what Chuck Todd said, after one of the debates between Hillary and 45, he said, Hillary seemed a little overprepared. Now, is that journalism to you? Wouldn't you have said there was a weird orange sniffy guy who was humping a chair for a long while? It made me feel sick to my stomach and I thought he was going to sexually assault someone because that's how he was acting. I'm so triggered now, I can't even fucking believe it. If you've ever been around a violent, awful, fucking aggressive, terrible man who has no moral compass whatsoever, no fucking uh, uh, sense of ethos, pathos, no sense of empathy, and only wants what they want in every single encounter, no matter how microscopic, is a zero-sum game of whether I win or not, and that includes sexual assault, is how he acts every second of the day. That wasn't his take. His take was, boy, Hillary's awful smart. My pee-pee has a weird goatee. (laughs) So yesterday, he felt that the Democrats lost at the Mueller hearing, even though Mueller said some of the most extraordinary things that were ever said on television in the history of our nascent republic, nay, oligarchy. Nay, cacotocracy, which it is right now. Stocracy. And uh, what I wanted to say was this. Um, a lot of people made fun of him for being old. Robert Mueller, at some point's voice was like this a bit. Sometimes he'd go, I'm sorry, what did you say? Sometimes he'd think for a bit and look at his paperwork because he was trying to be clear and definitive about what he was talking about. He's also 74 years old and really fucking good looking. Yeah. Ramrod straight with silver hair, a giant fucking... He's so fuckable, it's ridiculous. <laughs> 
the only one who saw him as a fuckable, gorgeous 74-year-old who was occasionally, you know, old. And everyone else was like, this isn't a good TV show. I like it when the orange water buffalo who rapes girls yells a lot. That's a good show. The orange buffalo that rapes people's funny. Bob Mueller said exculpatory. I don't know what that means. Rachel Maddow last night called the hearing an unrelentingly dire indictment of this administration, which is exactly what it was. It was felony after felony after crime after felony listed and fucking noted down in the congressional record. If you saw the first half of the day, uh, because it was a Tory Night doubleheader, the first game started early. And we let Louis Gummertz and Matt Gates and Jim Jordan question Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller is a hero who was a hero to the platoon that he was in when he was a Marine in Vietnam. Robert Mueller served the country in a thousand different ways and is 74 years old. Louis Gummertz became red-faced and screamed at him. They all three threw at him weird QAnon, 4chan, 8chan, Sean Hannity conspiracy bullshit and screamed it at him. This public servant who has served America forever and ever, and I'm by no means a conservative and no fan of the FBI. Let's be fucking honest. I'm a fucking lefty from San Francisco. <laughs> I think Pete Boot, Boot Edge Edge is too fucking right-wing. <laughs> That's what a lefty I fucking am. Frankly, he's a bit corporate for me. <laughs> They're a fucking Senate. And he's friends with Zuckerberg, so... <laughs> Them yelling at him is the most desecratory, horrible, odious, ominous, terrible abrogation of everything that we're supposed to be about. Now, I never say, oh, this isn't what we are, because this is what we are. And it always was what we are. We're a slave state. We were started as a slave state this year, as Jennifer reminded me today, is uh, 2019, is one, uh, uh, when uh, Blade Runner takes place, and two, <laughs> the 400th anniversary of bringing over the first boat of slaves. And the country was built on slaves, and if you don't think it was, um, take a walk around San Francisco. Chinese people built a lot of this place. They were slaves, they were brought over from China, and then thrown into ditches and whatnot. They built the goddamn railroad all the way to Utah, and the Irish people were forced to build it the other way. Black people built the country. Owning a black person, in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century, which one quarter of our presidents did, including George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, who wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, um, owned slaves. Owning a slave was like owning a home right now. So if you had hundreds of slaves, it was like owning hundreds of homes. That's the kind of wealth you had. To build the gigantic plantations, to build Wall Street in New York City, to build Charleston, South Carolina, to build the entirety of the United States is built on a slave state. If you see it another way, I'd like to understand your history, because there isn't another one. The genocide against the people who lived here was one gigantic movement of the slave state. The next was to have a slave state. The next was to abolish slavery and invoke the 13th Amendment to create the Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Electoral College, which are all vestiges of the slave state and are all concessions to the slave state to make sure that slave states always have an equal say. Do you ever wonder why Kentucky has two powerful senators, Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell, and why they have the same amount of power in the Senate that our senators, Feinstein and uh, Harris, have? Why California, with 35 million people, is in the same boat 
as a state where you can't get a horchata? That's <laughs> <laughs> worth considering. <laughs> so for Louis Gomer and Matt Gates to yell at him um, made my blood boil. I did not see an old man fumbling for answers. I saw a group of people who have taken leave of their senses no longer reside in any facts whatsoever and scream weird shit conspiracy theories that if you saw them on the corner yelling it out, you would think they would have a tinfoil hat on. It is at that level, below the juice box level of discourse in this country, and that's who we allow to be in Congress, and those districts have to be flipped over, and nothing is more important than, what can I do, Greg? I feel depressed. Don't feel depressed. Feel empowered. Look at the hundred women that went into the Congress in the last election. The overarching theme and narrative of American politics isn't that it was a win for the Republicans. The Republicans are on the goddamn run. The fact that they have Louis Gummert and Matt Gates and Jim Jordan as representatives shows the base state they're in. The fact that 45 got up after seven hours of testimony and screamed at a woman reporter. The optics of screaming at a woman reporter, screaming. They do the helicopter thing and he yells at everybody. And it was Paula Reed from CBS, which is not a left-wing outlet. CBS is as mainstream as they come. CBS will go, well, the Democrats took a loss today and a long, lengthy test. You know, they do the same bullshit everyone does. Paula Reed said to him um, that he could be indicted once he left office, which Robert Mueller said irrevocably and on the record. And it was confirmed. He was questioned, and they said, Mr. Mueller, when he leaves office, can be indicted, and Robert Mueller went, correct. (laughs) There it is, in black and white. Paul Reed said, you can be indicted when you leave office. And 45 yelled, you're fake news, and you're right at the top of the list also. Let me tell you, go back, this is what, uh, 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 that's not what he said. Read his correction. If you read the correction, that's why people don't deal with you. You're not an honest reporter. And he screamed it at the top of his voice at her. Now, I'm easily uh, triggered. I don't like to use the word that much. Uh, I've talked about it before on the show, and uh, uh, I'd like to make the show funny, but I'm not right now. (laughs) My father was a gigantic, bellicose, fat New Yorker who was abusive and predatory, and he wasn't a nice person. Um, Did I love him? Yeah, there's a place in my heart where I loved him. I also hated him more than life itself because he was a disgusting individual. And he also had that thing where if you contested him, he raised his voice. If you pulled him on a lie, he would think of some bullshit and spew that shit at you. The difference between my father and uh, 45 is that my father was intelligent and had an analytical mind when he wasn't um, completely off the goddamn rails. So for me to see 45 get up there every day and scream at black people and scream at women lies and damn lies and damnable lies and lies that aren't even near the truth and just yell any old bullshit um, look at his correction if you read his correction no, there's no correction and he did say that and the news just puts it out they just show him doing the video of it all the time it's extremely agitating as an individual I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way um, um, uh, because he's not being checked in any way and then when you, you have the Chuck Todd's of the world, there's 37 indictments, seven convictions. Manafort and Cohen are in jail. Michael Flynn's going to jail. Michael Flynn's partner was convicted yesterday, I'm going, and he's going to jail. $40 million recovered. Um, he was asked yesterday if it was a witch hunt, and he went, no, it's not a witch hunt. 
Um, I have a lot of things I could go over here, but I'm not going to go over all of them. You get the general drift of this. None of it is a lie. This is the most corrupt administration in our lifetime. It makes Nixon's look like a fucking walk in the goddamn park. Nixon, Nixon is the Roman Senate during the Golden Age. This is like when uh, uh, Heliogobulus was emperor, who was a, a Syrian prostitute who held the Roman throne for a while. It's that uh, uh, epic. However, as I said, when all the women won uh, the election in 20, uh, the, you saw at the midterms what the country can do. That was motivated by facts and reason. And there's a lot of us. Um, the Senate today, uh, after that gigantic um, uh, uh, hearing yesterday, uh, McConnell decided to block uh, any... Uh, uh, there were several bills put forward to stop Russian and foreign interference in the election, and those were blocked today by the Republicans. That's all you need to know. I don't want this to make you feel like you're a turtle on your back in the desert. What you should feel like is that um, we have the ball, and that's why they're charging so hard. Um, the next election is do or fucking die for them. Whether the Democrats win or not is immaterial. Whether they lose the Senate, the House, the presidency is wildly material to what happens to the rest of the country for the rest of our lives. And so... Every single election, from school board to city council to board of supervisors to Senate to Congress, I know we're here in California and we're in an awesome blue bubble. It's highly likely that whoever runs for president as a Democrat will carry California overwhelmingly and the entire West Coast. But you know people in other places and you are allowed to phone people in other places and you're allowed to write and participate in democracy at all times. Believe me, I travel everywhere. Kentucky, Tennessee, Oklahoma, uh, 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 what's that place called? Texas? And Nebraska, Iowa. I've been to them all this year. There's lots of beautiful people there. And they're waiting to hear from you. Every time we go there, I feel like we've landed in a blimp from the 30s. And we've got cocktails and spats on, and they're like, oh, thank God you're here. We've been waiting for someone to read and stop shooting at us. And you need to know that there's lots of beautiful people everywhere. And let's be very honest. If the Republican Party isn't hemorrhaging women right now, I don't know what organization is. Um, their attitude toward women over the last year and the last few months, wow, doubling down with some ugly dudes. Um, you want to talk about optics, the idea of Matt Gates yelling at you about women's rights or whatever, that's not a huge winner. Even if you live in Oklahoma, when you go into the voting booth, you're there alone. Um, and, and things uh, do happen, can happen, will happen, and are happening. Look at the amount of women that Boris Johnson is going to have to deal with as Prime Minister of Europe. He's going to have to deal with uh, Nicola Sturgeon, who's the, uh, 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 the PM of Scotland, um, in the disunited kingdom as women. Uh, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the European Commission President Ursula von Leyen will be repping the EU on the continental side of the Brexit negotiations. The freshly sworn in German Defense Minister Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer will back home desperate, uh, Johnson will be desperate not to cede votes to uh, Joe Swinson, who just took over um, the Liberal Democratic Party. So they're surrounded on all sides of these fascists. And when I say fascists, I mean fascists. I don't want to split hairs. I don't want to be... Uh, 
the, the Chuck Todd of Wolf Blitzers of Anderson Coopers. I don't want to misinform you and be a blueberry waffle a vacillating, fucking oscillating cosine on the goddamn Richter scale of your fucking registry. Let me spoon it to you the truth. These people are misogynist, white supremacist, homophobic Nazis. They don't have another agenda. It's not one that they're going to pull out of their back pocket and go, oh, I want children to smile. They don't care if children smile. They want children to die because it fills their agenda. They want there to be guns all the time. They want there to be all those things. And they're losing incrementally all the time. History moves forward whether the fascists want it to or not. People are going to be homosexual. Women are going to be oviparous. Marijuana is going to be smoked. None of these things are going to stop because a Nazi stomped their feet and went, I ain't going to go on anymore. And not only do you have enormous power, you have way more than presidential power. Because, how do I put it gently? Every one of these cocksuckers and you'll pardon the expression cocksucking is one of the great gifts of man every one of these horrible bottom dwelling cave albino salamanders is absolutely in mortal fear every second of their life and I mean that from the bottom of my heart if you call Mitch McConnell's office and Matt Gates' office and Rand Paul's office and every goddamn Republican senator they have to write that down they have to register that. If they ignore it, call them again. If they don't ignore that, go on uh, uh, Fax Zero and, and fax them. If they, don't, if they don't take that, believe me, they want this to be over too. They like this. There's a bunch of people who are on the Republican side who wish this was over because they see the same thing that you and I see. A dumpster on fire going off a precipice with a bunch of old white guys in it and Wilbur Ross going, did I just wake up to this? <laughs> and in the bottom of the dumpster, a voice is going, get out. You've been the smartest guy in the world. Right? Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me.